everyone. I'm Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is Fit Click. podcast where we talk about fan fiction this week we have three fics and the first one is my pick for this episode is the blow when it lands by high octane it is a polygon rpf fic uh nicole my pick for this episode is called untrust it's by the violinist and it is one direction rpf Brenna? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm here too. Um, my pick this week is called The Love Song of the North American Douchebag. It is by Jism and it is Star Trek RPF. <laughs> RPF only here on Fit Click this week. Must be real to participate in this <laughs> podcast. Uh, before we fully dive into these, though, what have you all been up to lately? Uh, you know, last time that we recorded an episode, I was like, Hey, I signed up for this thing, Yuletide. Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, the update that I would give you is, hey, I've made so much progress in my Yuletide thing. Um, And what I have to say to you instead is that Pokemon Sword and Shield came out and it's really taken up a lot of my free time. Um, It's delightful. I've been having a lot of fun playing Pokemon. I've read a bunch of fic. Uh... Oh boy, I sure haven't done anything for Yuletide. Let's go, Reed. So that's just... Looming on the horizon. It's fine. We that was a high five, and we're good. Oh yes, that noise was Brent and I high fiving yeah. over our mutual for the benefit of the radio. Yeah, I've been reading a bunch of fic for a variety of fandoms. I've really been trying to branch out with some of our like upcoming fic click episodes, and so I've read some wild stuff in a good way. It's been fun trying to find some like really niche things, and then playing a lot of Pokemon. Uh, if you're playing Pokemon Sword or Shield, hit me <laughs> up. Let me know who you picked as a starter. Ah, yes. Uh, I was sad when mine evolved. <laughs> you were really bonded maybe, with some. Maybe it was because it was, like, very late at night, and I'm always a little bit emotionally fragile. Does it, like, change names? Did it turn into, like, yes. Briar? No, no. It just looks different. Uh, they also, like, you can nickname your Pokemon, so. Is it still a Sobble? No. No. Oh, no. What did it turn into? Whatever the Ooh, evol- evol- The last is one is, like, Inteleon, but I don't know what the middle one is. <laughs> Snoobble. Snoobble. <laughs> I don't know anything no. about Pokemon. My, my name was named Charlie, so he's still oh. named Charlie, but... He, he's no longer a Sobble. Yeah. Oh, no. I just really liked him when he was a cute baby, and now he's an awkward teenager. Oh. I don't... The terrible twos. I, I, I still love him, but... I don't think you're gonna maybe love his final evolution. I already looked it up. It's oh, okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're playing, though, because you said you haven't played a Pokemon game in a very long time, and it's bringing me a lot of joy to see you playing it as well. Yeah, it's... Well, it actually hasn't been that long since I played a Pokemon game. Oh. Only a couple years. Oh, okay. This one is fun, though, and it's very easy. Like, it's very much designed for, like... um, I feel like this, maybe more so than ones in the past, is targeted at... Ten-year-old children in the sense yeah. of how easy it is to and play. And I fucking love ah. that because I don't understand video games. Yeah. I can truly only play games that are sort of like Stardew Valley or Animal mm-hmm. Crossing. So mm-hmm. Those are my ideal games. Gotta give Same. me something simple, baby. Otherwise, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I like want to play them and then I just get so disheartened by like my lack of understanding of like how video games work. <laughs> so I just get nervous. Like I used to, when I was younger, like my dad played a lot of video games and still does sometimes. And we would occasionally play some like call of duty together 
when I was in wow. like high school. Hardcore. I know, right? Super hardcore. Well, you you would think, and then you would see me with a controller, and I'm I'm so bad at looking around while I walk. <laughs> so every time I would like remember to turn around, there would be someone right next to me, and what I would do instead of you know like ah let me take this enemy out, um I would in in person shriek and drop the controller. <laughs> My dad would be like Nicole again. <laughs> Like, yeah, I died. I'm sorry. My strategy for every game is the strategy I had while playing um, Super Smash Bros. in middle school, which is just to press all the buttons <laughs> and hope for the best. That's really bad um, with Hitman. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, in in sort of easier, gentler games, like, mm-hmm. say, Animal Crossing, I don't employ that strategy. <laughs> Not necessarily. But in combat games, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in Animal Crossing, I feel like most of the buttons don't do anything. In Animal Crossing, during the combat <laughs> I can't wait for the new Animal Crossing coming okay. out in March where you just duel Animal every Animal Crossing <laughs> Uprising. <laughs> I would absolutely play the fuck out oh, of I know Animal you would. Crossing game where they all decide to, like, rebel and it just becomes, like, utter chaos. Yeah, yeah. I would love that. Anti-capitalist Animal Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In non-video game news, uh, <laughs> while I did not make a lot of progress on my Yuletide, um, you, Nick, you made uh-huh. some progress in terms of Nano. I did. I did National Novel Writing Month. I say did because I finished on Sunday. Woo, 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 woo. Yay! For uh, our listeners, we are not yet at the end of the month while recording this. So if you're listening and you're like, "Well, it's December something," <laughs> I sure hope she finished. No, I finished on the twenty fourth, um, which was pretty cool and weird. I've never finished Nano that early in my life. Usually, it's like the thirtieth at ten p.m. and I'm like, "Oh God, I have three k left to write," and it's the power hour. Um, but this month, I don't know, it was pretty good. And so that was fun. I am happy. I like the things that I wrote. I'm glad that I'm done. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I had some friends who were doing it. Um, and some of them dropped as people are wont to do when they try to write 50,000 words in a month. I've definitely done that before. Um, when life just kind of happens, but others are like still going or have finished along with me. And it's just a nice, I don't know, community adventure to go on. And it's always nice to be able to like, Tweet, I did it. And then people go, yeah, like send celebratory gifts. I love a celebratory gift. So nice. It sounds like I'm fishing for gifts. I'm not. If you <laughs> want to send me one, you can, but it's going to be a while after I said these words and I'm probably not going to feel the same way anymore. So just don't. You probably don't. So send me other gifts. <laughs> send me consolatory gifts. I'll probably have <laughs> made a mistake by then. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh, wow. What have you been up to, Brenna? Um, well, I also haven't written my Yuletide fix, so (laughs) (laughs) that's something. (laughs) We're feeling great about that. Hopefully by the next time you hear from me, (laughs) I will have written my Yuletide fix. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Well, when's the next time we record? Oh, I've still got time. It's fine. <laughs> uh, listeners, stay tuned for Brenna and I's update next oh, episode. God. Which is like, I have an outline. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God. right? Uh, where it'll be less jokes and probably significantly more panic as we go, ooh, we only have a few days left. Yeah, that's how I've written everything I've written, though. Oh, mood. But this, there are some times where I just didn't get it done. Yeah. No, we'll get these done. <laughs> um, um, I've also been reading a whole bunch of Star Trek fic since I chose Star Trek RPF, and then I had a crisis about the fact that I chose Star Trek RPF before choosing Star Trek <laughs> fic. And I was like, oh god, I have to find something. But I just haven't been able to like refine some of the things I remember loving, slash the things I have in my bookmarks are like 
switch, which is so mm. freaking long, and I cannot bring to fit click at this point in time. Oh, but it's um, so good. It's so good. So if you have any um, Star Trek fic recs, preferably like reboot series, but mm-hmm. I'd read like more like original series as well. Send them to me. Ideally under 50k for all our sakes. Yeah. Or around the 50k <laughs> yeah, mark. But around not, not around the 200k mark. No, no, no. <laughs> um, Alright, so that's what I've been up to. Um, or not been up to, rather. <laughs> but um, we're here to talk about fix. So let's get into it. Reed, my friend, business partner, and co-host... <laughs> Oh, I have all of those things. (laughs) Read my colleague. (laughs) Please tell me what you've selected. Read my acquaintance. (laughs) Um, Boy, my pick for this episode is The Blow, When It Lands by High Octane. Um, As stated before, it is a polygon RPF fic. Just before we jump in, some content warnings. This is a body swap fic, so a general content warning for, like, the typical bodily autonomy stuff that comes with a body swap. Um, and other content warnings would be, um, for anxiety, the character's head that we are in is very anxious, uh, and reflects on that a lot, and then also there is an age gap of about seven years between the two characters. It's mentioned very briefly in passing, it's really not, like, something that is made a big deal out of, but if that is a hard no-go for you, that's something to be aware of. And the youngest is in his, like, mid-twenties. Yeah, it's like (laughs) 25 to 32, I guess. Something like that. Yeah. I did Google this. I don't know exactly. I just know. Like it's one of the boxes what, what are those you can things? check. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Everybody um, knows that classic age gap. Um, yeah. So some background context for you, if you are not really aware what Polygon is. It's a gaming website and a YouTube channel. They post um, articles, reviews, a wide array of videos. Their YouTube channel tends to be not so much Let's Plays as like deep dives into specific aspects of games, or they, like, interview people from within the gaming industry, or there's BDGs Unraveled. Even if you've never watched it, you almost definitely see memes from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe my favorite one is when he's talking about Mario characters, and he's, why does Piranha Plant have bone in it? (laughs) Why? Why? Here. Um, Yeah, I watched, like, three Unraveled last night. (laughs) And then I, like, contemplated trying to figure out my Hideo Kojima game name. I did the whole, like, eight But it was already 1am and I hadn't read my fix. Oh my god. I did the full, I mean, like, I say eight pages. What's your name? Oh, well, let me go find it. Yeah. um, Because I did send it to my friends, but hold on. Oh, my Kojima name is Plasma Blackmore Goldfish Man. Nice. (laughs) I love that for you. Thank you. It's pretty good. Um, also, what was the I, first word? Plasma? Mm-hmm. Plasma. I will be calling you Plasma from now on. <laughs> can, I, can I call you Plazzy? Oh, sure. Okay. Plazimondus. <laughs> yeah, please. Please refer to me. How about the No, fish? please. Please. Plazimondus was my father. <laughs> call me Plazzy. Okay. Let me just... Um, <laughs> Um, the two people in this fic particular are um, Brian David Gilbert um, and Pat Gill. So they, obviously they both work for Polygon. They used to do a stream together called Gill and Gilbert, um, which when I, so Nick was in the Polygon fandom before me and is uh-huh. arguably more in the Polygon fandom <laughs> than I am. Uh-huh. But um, when she was trying to get me into Polygon, she was like, hey, please watch some clips from Gill and Gilbert. And specifically one that she showed me was... 
a stream where they're playing a game called Shadow of the Colossus and they have to fight really big monsters and uh, their like gimmick for the stream was they play one at a time and whenever one person is climbing a big monster, they have to physically climb on the other's back or like be held by them in some way and play the game oh, like wow. that. It's beautiful. It's so funny. I rewatched Iconique. it. Yeah, I rewatched it um, actually yesterday. Just it's like so good. <laughs> in prep for this. I didn't realize until recently that that wasn't like a thing that they were doing anymore. Yeah. Please don't speak to me. I'm still very sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so that's what Nick showed me to like uh to entice me to get into Polygon. Mm-hmm. It worked. They work on a bunch of projects together. Pat like helps Brian with Unraveled, although he's mostly just a voice behind the camera. Mm-hmm. In this fic in particular, as I said before, it is a body swap fic. That's it, folks. They wake up, swapped bodies, and have a bit of a panic about it, understandably. They're actually just, like, totally chill with it, and they're like, this isn't a problem at all. This is yeah. actually what I wanted. I love this. I feel <laughs> no anxiety at all. I feel more at home in this body. I feel more <laughs> at home and relaxed. Yes. No, um, they freak out. Yeah. That's great. Um, I really liked this fic because, first and foremost, it was really funny. Um, I read the first half of it sitting next to Nicole, and Nicole watched me, like, <laughs> laugh out loud a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and just sort of audibly react. But I also really liked it because I thought it was a very, very, very close view, um, not only of our POV character, which is Brian, but also like a very intense look at the body swap trope. The whole thing pretty much takes place over one day and it's um, it really like sort of digs into the logistics of like, what would this look like? Um, what are sort of the ramifications of it beyond just sort of the obvious? I like that it sort of um, varied between being funny and also being, like, very real, I think, um, and also very tender. Uh, There's a whole lot in this fic, I'll get into it more later, but there's a lot about the two of them feeling very much like they need to take care of the bodies that they're in and wanting to return them uh, better than they found it. That makes me really soft. Nicole is holding her face (laughs) in her hands right now. I'm soft. Yeah. I'm trying not to make very high-pitched noises (laughs) in agreement with you. And I really liked that um, for all that you are very, very deep inside Brian's head and a very close perspective on him, I liked the ways um, in which we got indications of sort of where Pat was at. Mm. um, Because the times when you sort of do get a glimpse into like his feelings and sort of what he's dealing with, I think were really well done um, and made more poignant by the fact that for a lot of this fic, you are just sort of narrowing on Brian. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, What did you guys think? Oh, I liked it a lot, too. (laughs) Uh, As you alluded to, I have definitely been, like, very involved with this fandom for a while, and I've really enjoyed seeing that in the time since I, like, entered and started posting the first thing that I was writing, um, it has grown a lot. So the tag has blown up a little. Uh, It's expanded, we'll say. It's not, like, huge. (laughs) Um, But the one really fun thing that I love about it is that a lot of the, like, authors in this fandom – know each other because every time a new person posts something in the tag all of us get together and ask each other who is that do you know this person is this your friend this is so good we need to yell at them immediately this needs to happen um and so that's really fun um ao3 is your high octane is wonderful and also uh was one of the folks who coined the mature competent professional gaze tag which you may have seen on this fic it is on a bunch of other polygon fics as well now uh, I guess it's the opposite of disaster gay. <laughs> because, hey, they actually are pretty, they're they're a little bit of a mess, but they, they have it together decently, I would say. I do agree that it's a very close look at specifically the trope and how it operates and how it impacts the people that are 
present within it and, you know, that have been swip swapped. So that was delightful. The jokes are really fun. I thought that they landed really well. And it is such a feel-good fic, I think, even with being in this very anxious and stressful situation where they're not sure what to do, there is still always this element of it's a little bit wacky, it's a little bit wild, you're not really sure what's going to happen, they're thinking about how their situation is weird, and I think that helps pull you out of the the drama at its most dramatic, and it lets it be ultimately like a really fun fic that I liked a lot. Yeah, I had a lot of fun reading this. I don't really read Polygon fic other than when it's sent to me. <laughs> but I do really like it. Like, I've always had a good time reading what has been sent to me. I think that they have such a fun dynamic. I like what I've seen of them on video, too. But I also think that this fandom has a lot of, like, gems of fics yes. that, like, aren't widely known but are very good. And just, like, you can tell... You can tell that the people within the fandom have put a lot of time and energy and care into crafting these characters and into crafting like what the, they want their fandom to look like. And I think that's such a lovely thing to see even when I'm not like a part of the fandom necessarily. But you just like peek in from outside and you're like, that's like what I want fandom to look like, you know? <laughs> it's it's just good. And I really like the fic that's coming out of it. Yeah, I think this trope is such a delight. I have always enjoyed reading Body Swap fic. And... I think this one just, like, executed sort of, like, the points you want body swap fic to hit so well. I will never not enjoy reading that moment when the POV character, like, first wakes up. And <laughs> it's just always so good because you know what's going to happen next and you're just like, oh my god, oh my god, like, I can't wait yeah. for them to, like, look in the mirror. I can't wait for them yeah. to do this or that. Like, How weird. This doesn't look like my bedroom and you're like, I know exactly what it looks like, actually. <laughs> And it's not your bedroom. You're right. Or like, oh, I feel like I am too long for this mattress. Mm -hmm. like, you are. <laughs> I think sometimes it's so comforting, almost in a way, to read a fic that you know is going to hit certain points. Mm -hmm. um, and this one executed that so precisely and with such grace. And I just had a really fun time reading it. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to like read a trope. And this yeah. is a trope at its best. It's like watching an episode of Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> where, <laughs> I've been watching yeah. a lot of Hell's Kitchen lately. Where so there's the setup, and you already know from the very start how this thing is going to go, right? You've got various elements that are going to be present in every single episode, but the contents of the quote unquote plot are different every single time. I always found like a strange comfort in watching very episodic and like procedural reality television. <laughs> So we kind of mentioned that this fic is something that takes a really close view on its subject and also the trope itself. And I think one of the ways that it grounds itself is in taking a lot of time to note sort of what makes Brian Brian, um, what stays with him and like what is part of his body. Um, he has kind of a crisis about that. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed it. Sort of one of the first things after he's gotten over the initial shock of, oh my god, I'm in Pat's body. And he and Pat, like, are on the phone and they're like, okay, okay, this is happening, like, come over here, let's sort this out, is Brian starts thinking about his anxiety and he's like, oh shit, I need Pat to take my meds. And then he's like, well, does my anxiety stay with my neurons? Like, does it stay with my consciousness? Do I have a discrete soul? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, those casual morning questions no big deal. <laughs> off over breakfast. Yeah, so he's sort of like, Brian is stressing about that. Um, and a really like nice moment in there is he texts Pat because Pat is on the way to 
what is technically Pat's apartment, but where Brian is. Um, he texts Pat and he's like, hey, if you haven't left already, can you take my meds? And Pat is like, yeah, I already took them. Like you mentioned them before on a stream. And Brian is just sort of taken aback. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I wouldn't have thought that Pat would have even cataloged that. So there's those like little acknowledgements of the ways in which they are um, aware of one another, but also sort of in the idea of um, like taking a close look at sort of what makes each person who they are. Something that I thought was really interesting was it's noted a few different times with the fic. Brian cries a lot, but doesn't blush. (laughs) And Pat is the reverse. And there are a few moments in which that comes up. And the first time it just really ruined me a little bit because it's Brian sitting like in Pat's room waiting for Pat to get to the apartment, just completely overwhelmed with the situation. And he feels himself starting to tear up. And then he kind of freaks out because he realizes he's never seen Pat cry and he doesn't want to know what that looks like because that feels kind of like a violation. Like he's never seen Pat in that way and he doesn't want to have access to that information now. Yeah. Oh, God, it was so tough. Oh, AO3 user high octane. (laughs) We have feelings. Well, because I think the thing that I love about this fic so much and that I love about a lot of Polygon fic with these two in particular is that there's such a fundamental friendship between them. Like, they like each other so much. And I think I have read a lot of fic and a lot of pairings where there is not that element of fundamentally liking someone a lot and knowing that they also like you just as a person, which is always like, that's why I think I struggle sometimes with enemies to friends to lovers as a trope. Because I'm like, if you don't even like each other, like stop spending time together. Um, (laughs) No, I know it can be good. It can be very good when it's done well. Just shove my hand in my mouth and not say anything. Yeah, fair. Well, because I think what I really liked about this is just that so often I think friendship gets kind of shafted in fic in favor of this like ardent, passionate love affair, uh, whether it's despite the protagonist's anger or whatever or not. But this fic very much highlighted that they are like friends with each other as they figure out what else this could mean for them. And they also have other friends and they have different levels of relationships. Pat and his roommate have, like, a really fun and interesting vibe where they're not super close. Like, they like each other, but they're not BFFLs. And then Brian lives with his sister and his best friend from college, and they talk. They have a really great text conversation that was, like, really realistic, I thought, where Brian kind of bails on him in order to um, be Pat. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, it. I liked how much friendship felt central in this fic, even as Brian and Pat really only physically interacted with each other and briefly with Pat's roommate. So I liked that about it a lot. I think I really liked how this fic handled the emotions of both central characters. Um, I thought it did a good job of like keeping the anxiety there, even mm. in like the nicer funny moments. Um, like we know that Brian's like an anxious character and we expect the anxiety to be very present at the beginning when they're both sort of freaking out about these new and absurd circumstances. Um, but I sort of felt like a low level panic from him through most of the fic, which I found like highly relatable. And I think it did a really good job of capturing that feeling where like you're freaking the fuck out, but like there, you don't really want to let on that you are so you're just going um, through the actions of doing normal things and like having normal conversations while inside being like oh my god oh my god um and i know that feeling really well so I, <laughs> <laughs> um i could definitely sense that i think especially like when they're they're doing the stream mm. um i think the emotions felt very grounded even within a very tropey setting yeah 
And I think with the anxiety thing too, it was present like it's present in Brian and Pat's interactions when it's just the two of them. And it is also there when they are trying to be each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you were saying, the stream. So um, it's a Sunday when they wake up and Pat normally streams on Sundays. And he's like, oh God, I have to do a stream because I need to be able to pay my rent. Mm -hmm. And so Brian's like, okay, um, ooh, a four hour crash course in how to be Pat Gill, I guess. And um, there is a note in there because like, Pat is sort of walking him through, like, the way he normally does a stream and all of this, and Brian is freaking out, and he says something like, oh, I was never good at cramming, and Pat's yeah. like, what do you mean by cramming? If there's anyone who I would trust to, like, play a version of myself, it would be you, and Brian just doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah, that's um, a lot to hear yeah. from the man that you feel so much affection towards. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you said, Brian, it really is like a through line. Uh, that I think is done very well because they're not allowed to just sit and wallow in it. Like, they Mm -hmm. have to try to do something or at the very least they have to try to, like, put on a face in front of other people. Um, It's all about performance, baby. Let's talk about fame. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to talk about um, dances moving. Let's talk about dances moving! Oh Oh my god, no, you're right. This is a disaster. We have to talk about dances moving. I absolutely feel like you could bring it into this. Let's do it, baby. I know the law. (laughs) (laughs) I know the anti-dances moving law. (laughs) And I know all the loopholes. (laughs) Hey, listeners, uh, if you are not familiar with Polygon, if you're not familiar with BDG and his shtick, you probably, I'm guessing, have not seen the objectively perfect miniseries <laughs> on YouTube called Dance is Moving. In it, Brian, a lad who's about to move to the big city for his dream job, Polygon, is saying goodbye to his friends. And I I could give you my entire <laughs> PowerPoint presentation on why this series is perfect, but instead I'll just give you the barest of content. A literal PowerPoint presentation, yeah. by the way. There oh, is I something, gave it. Yeah. It exists. We've experienced it. Dance is Moving is a YouTube series in which Brian essentially is processing leaving his hometown that he's been in his whole life and his college and his friends and going to the city, New York City to be exact, to pursue this new thing that he has no idea how it's going to work out. And so in order to do that, like any of us would, he creates a (laughs) miniseries in which he is essentially an 80s dance instructor and he's creating jazzercise videos, <laughs> basically. Uh, he writes songs for these and sings them and then creates dances for them. And he and his sister created it together. Uh, it's really his like thing. And it's very beautiful. It's very, very funny. And then it's very, very emotional. I love it a lot. It just had me thinking about it. It reminds me a lot of a lot of the ways in which both Brian and Pat in this fic sort of process their emotions which is joking and banter, because that's just sort of their shtick. And I think there is something to be said about comedy as a vehicle for sentiment, not to get back into my PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) Get into it, Nick. It's a good PowerPoint. Thank you. It's too long um, for this. But I do think that you absolutely can still have worthwhile and valuable emotions and conversations when you are not being 100% serious business all the time. And I think Brian and Pat do that in this fic. And I also think that AO3 user High Octane does that really well in this fic that is not just down in the dumps the whole time. uh, And that is anxious and that is high strung and that is difficult and challenging and explores emotions of shame and guilt but it does so in such a way in which you never feel alienated by these themes. And a lot of that I do think comes from 
the the ease and the brightness of so much of the dialogue and some of the narration too. And I think like BDG in so much of what he does, including like Yance's movie, including Unraveled, mm-hmm. including like as a character that fic authors write, is very like open and warm and invites you as an audience member to participate in whatever mm-hmm. he is doing. And I think that's such a lovely thing to watch, but I think it also works really well in fic because authors like AO3 user High Octane are good <laughs> at also doing that, yeah. also like inviting you into the space. Um, yeah, I just, I just think like, it's interesting to watch some of what BGG has create, like created because I think it's things that like could feel very alienating and yet don't at all. And instead feel very relatable and like you are very welcome to not only participate in the story that he's telling, but like bring your own emotions to the table. I think like dance is moving especially allows you to do that. I think part of that is just his authenticity. Um, mm-hmm. I think he is very good, like you were saying, in being open. I think in his videos, sort of regardless of what he's doing, he definitely is very good at, um, yeah, making making it all seem authentic. Like he is putting a lot of himself out there. I had kind of mentioned earlier that um, I liked the moments in this fic where you got a glimpse into how Pat was feeling because... I think, first of all, by nature of being in Brian's head, obviously you get a whole lot of Brian, um, and you're getting a perception of Pat that is, like, filtered through Brian and and his anxiety over the situation, but also because I think of the way that Pat is in just sort of being, like, more low-key and less perhaps wearing his heart on his sleeve the way that Brian does, um, I think maybe it lends itself to, like I said, fewer moments, but I think very poignant moments where you sort of get a glimpse into Pat um, and one of those moments that I was thinking about is, uh, before they do the Twitch stream, they're trying to figure out what game Brian can play, um, to feasibly <laughs> impersonate Pat, and he's scrolling through Pat's Steam library, and there's a section that's just labeled Brian, and Brian realizes that it's, um, all games that he has sort of recommended to Pat. Some of them, like, said offhand, some of them he realizes, like, he doesn't even remember mentioning to Pat, mm-hmm. and he sort of calls attention to it, he's like, oh, that's nice, and Pat's like, uh-huh, and then Brian notes, like, Pat's hand twitching as though he wants yeah. to, like, scroll past it faster. Um, and you just sort of get these little things where it's like, oh, you know that Brian cares a lot about Pat and specifically, like, is into him. And you yeah. get these hints that, like, oh, yeah, Pat is also interested back. He yeah. just is very nervous about showing yeah. it. At the very least, Pat is paying a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Is sort of what you get from all of these hints, from the anxiety medication to the folder. Like, Pat definitely knows... <laughs> so much about Brian and like he's watching not in a creepy sense in like a nice sense well no like you care about this person so you've taken note of what mm-hmm. they've said or done yeah and paid attention since also they play Stardew Valley <laughs> sorry I just love that game it's very good <laughs> um I want to watch Brian stream Stardew Valley oh same yeah I think that would be a joy I'd watch Pat stream Stardew Valley too I'd love to watch both of them together wow I would love to watch Bring Bring Gil and Gilbert, Gil and Gilbert. Yes. Oh, you know, we're talking about Animal Crossing, but combat. <laughs> what if you play like as like rival farms in Stardew? <sighs> There's both competitive farming and combat. Yes, you meet in like the caves. Yeah, and you exactly. Just it out. Yeah, I love but then that. you're also like rival stands at the farmers market, and it's like who can make oh. more money? <laughs> Enemies to friends to lovers. Enemies. Rival farmers to friends to lovers. <laughs> 
Rivals and enemies this, are different. Yeah, sorry. Competitors to okay. um, <laughs> to actual enemies once you meet in the caves, and then to friends. Got it. And then back to enemies once you're back in the cave, <laughs> and then to lovers. Oh god! Wow. But sort of branching off the idea that um, they pay a lot of attention to one another, I think it also circles back to something I said before um, that I really just want to scream about, which is that. They care so deeply for one another, and there's a lot of emphasis and a lot of times where they say that they want to take care of the bodies that they're in. Um, there's one point where Pat says, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know if it's going to last forever. If I have to be you, literally, I don't know how to do it, but I'll learn. Pat shrugs and picks at his shawarma. I'll take care of you, Brian, he finishes simply. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, it's not even just that they are romantically interested in one another. It really is, I think, at its core, like, so deeply that they care about each other. And they've been put in this, like, very stressful and less than ideal situation. But they are going to do their absolute best to, at the very least, like, if it's a shitty situation, like, do the little things they can to make it better. And part of that is taking care of one another. Um, yeah, I really think this fic, as we've said, is such a good example of a really close look at the body swap trope. It's a really well-executed fic. Um, it's a very close look at Brian and Pat's relationship in this very loving way. Um, like, I think you can tell the author, like, loves them dearly and wants to sort of cradle them softly, um, <laughs> even while putting them in this tense situation. It's, you know, it's got this through line of anxiety, but it's also very funny um, and very relatable. Uh, and it's a fic that I enjoyed a lot, so thank you very much, AO3 user High Octane. Yay! So that was my fic. Nick, do you want to talk about your pick for this episode? I do! What a coincidence <laughs> that you asked me that, and I was just thinking, God, I wish I could talk about my fic. Well, now's your time. Now's my chance. All right, this episode, my fic is called Undressed. It is a One Direction RPF fic. It is written by AO3 user The Violinist. I want to share some content warnings before we start because this is a pretty heavy fic, honestly. It is inherently and completely, honestly, a fic about recovery from heroin addiction. So <laughs> kind of a big one. That's that's the main um, content warning, honestly. There are some things that go into that. There are pretty graphic depictions of withdrawal symptoms. Um, there are some narrative choices that I thought were interesting, but still potentially triggering about the way that the POV character uh, conceptualizes and thinks about um, both addiction and the character that is going through withdrawal. So, and there's also an element of societal stigma. There's all this stuff. So know that um, <laughs> not only is it substance abuse, but it's like withdrawal and there's a lot of different pieces of that. So it's a heavy one, but hey, if you're sticking with us for this conversation, thanks. Uh, we, I don't think, are going to get super, super graphic in this conversation, but just know that any of those warnings could apply at any time in this conversation. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a fucking uplifting man. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, so in this fic, it is set in the nebulous future at the time it was written, which is to say that it's set in a time that would be behind us now, <laughs> but after when the author wrote it. It's set approximately, I want to say, one and a half to two years into One Direction being a band. Um, it was published in 2012, 
And the implication was that the fic was taking place about a year after that, maybe a little bit longer. It's it's honestly hard to tell. Um, in this fic, Harry is going through withdrawal from heroin addiction. So the other boys end up taking care of him on a suggestion from the label. Um, it's kind of an ultimatum, the way that it's presented, of hey, if he goes to rehab, essentially the band is over, but if you're able to pull together, make it a beautiful story, um, keep it out of the media as much as you can until we're able to leverage it uh, in a way that is going to be, you know, good PR, then we'll have you do that instead and you can probably stay together. Um, It's a very complicated ask, I think, largely because the people making the decision are the band members at the time who are mostly teenagers, (laughs) Uh, which is pretty messed up in my heart, Uh, you know? (laughs) So we are in Liam's point of view throughout this. They end up going to, uh, they call it the bungalow, Harry's stepdad's bungalow. It is where they did their little retreat on X Factor. It's a very sentimental location for the band, for fic writers, for fans. Um, So they go there and they essentially stay with Harry while he detoxes. Um, they help out as best they can, which is like a lot because detoxing from heroin is a lot. Um, there was a fair amount of research that went into this fic, so I feel like I learned something. But at the time, Liam sort of served as a de facto leader of the group. He sort of had the most experience when they became a band of like singing, performing, being on the X Factor. Um, he was the quote unquote responsible one. So it's interesting to see it from his point of view. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was just kind of laughing because it's really funny to look back and think about, yeah, that was absolutely true. And then you look at like 2019, like, (laughs) hey, he just wants to, what is it? Have fun and get rowdy. Have fun and get rowdy. I kind of like to think about was the get rowdy. I couldn't remember the beginning. That's the important part. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Rum and Bacardi, sipping lightly. Lightly. That's responsibility. Yeah, true. (laughs) Exactly. I'm glad he still has maintained that Mm -hmm. part of his persona. Mm -hmm. God. But yeah, so this fic is very much about what it does to relationships when – a, you're introducing something that can like shake up someone's life so much as a really serious addiction. And then also B, when there is constant media scrutiny on everything that you're doing, because they're hyper aware of that throughout this as well. So this fic, I honestly like a lot. I think it's really well done. I think it's really interesting. It's different from anything else really that I've read for this fandom and in others too. Uh, this is not like a common trope. <laughs> I would say, uh, nor do I think it should be. But yeah, I it, it's one that stuck with me. I have not read any 1D fic in quite a while. But when I think back on that fandom, this is one that I still remember pretty well. So yeah, what did you guys think? This was an absolute journey for mm-hmm. me <laughs> in like multiple senses. The fic itself is quite a journey. Mm-hmm. But also I was just taken back to 2012 1D fandom in such a visceral way. Mm-hmm. And reminded of sort of the characterizations of the boys from that time, the characterizations of the band, of the thoughts of what their future might be, that are so different than how they developed as both real people and how they developed as, like, fandom characters. Um, It was really interesting. It totally took me a moment to, like, get my head back in this space. It's been a really long time since I read anything written in sort of this era. Um, like probably at least like four years or five years. Mm, um, yeah. yeah, like I'm, I've also just become used to them like 
not being a band, you know? I think, like, it's been a couple of years now, and it's sort of easier for me to, like, think of them as their separate people now yeah. in some ways. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting to, like, read a fic where all five of them are described as being so tightly interwoven and connected. One band, one dream, one direction, Brenna. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, Nick. I loved it. <laughs> I was there. I was in it. Um, Yeah, because I was fully in fandom at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Like, I got into 1D fandom, like, super, super early, like, right as they ended X Factor. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, was pretty much in it, like, in and out of it. Like, it wasn't necessarily my main fandom for that whole period. But I was definitely, like, up to date with what they were doing um, and following along and engaging in spaces pretty much the whole time. But it was really wild to, like, go back. And I also found it just, like, really fucking fascinating because it is this, like, future outlook, but from this past moment. Yeah. And so it was just sort of an interesting read the whole time to think about, like, what we imagined their futures to be like versus what it actually became. And, I mean, their future, what it became, was a lot better than, like, this today. Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, in other ways, there's also, like, a sense of loss because we think of them as so individual now. Like, Zane wasn't mm. really a part of the band for, like, the last couple years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just straight up wasn't a part of the band for the last couple years. Um, I don't really think of him as, like, a central 1D person anymore. Yeah. And the way, same way I think a lot of fandom doesn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, or nor that he wants to be thought of Yeah, he, does, he, like, he, he probably doesn't, um, at least that's sort of what he's publicly yeah. said. Um, I don't know Zane's private thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> on this podcast, you've on this, on this podcast, I've read Zane's diary. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, listeners. <laughs> um, no, but I sort of almost like recoiled in these moments where the fic was very much like, they'll be together forever, like, they're brothers, mm. like, this bond doesn't die. And I was like, hello? It dies. <laughs> Not like... In a way, we're like, I don't think the boys, like, hate each other now. Mm -hmm. It's just so settled. They're so settled in their careers. They've become these, like, individual names. It was really interesting to go back and read something where they were, like, of one direction. Yeah. Do or die. (laughs) Well, because back then, I think the idea of losing the band seemed catastrophic to Mm -hmm. fans and how fans perceived it would be to the members of the band as well. And it turns out that loss can just be change. (laughs) This fic was an interesting read for me. Um, I was never really in 1D fandom. I casually liked the band as much as most teenage girls did when they were first becoming a band. Um, I then kind of just like stopped following what they were doing. I stopped honestly like paying attention to them before Zayn left, if that gives you a context of sort of the window in which I was tuned into One Direction. And even when I was like listening to their music and, like, sort of fans of them as people. I was not in fandom with a capital F. Yeah, so I wasn't really, like, in um, fandom of any sort. And I think any things that I maybe, like, was aware of about fandom, I have forgotten in my many years (laughs) since. Um, I think especially in part because I have only recently sort of started paying attention to them again. Like, I really liked Harry's last album. I'm very excited for his upcoming album. Brent and I went to a Nile concert together yeah, once. Yeah, baby. It was the first time we hung out one-on-one. It sure was. <laughs> um, Reed was like, I don't have any feelings about Nile. And I was like, I will cry. And we went to a concert together. And then you did cry. Yes. Um, but also, like, when uh, when talking about sort of, like, 1D or just, like, the members and stuff, I feel like most of the things that I tend to think about regarding them are sort of, like, post-breakup. Mm-hmm. I've read some fix because of you guys that are post-breakup. I think the sort of, like, 
I don't know, like the fandom, like characterizations and the theorizing and all of that stuff that I have dug into at all in the past like year or so is all set in the present. So for me, I was aware that I was getting a lot of like probably typical 2012 like characterizations and whatnot without really like, I guess, having the context for them. Um, there's like a point where this fic is like, it's written, I guess, like loosely OT5, mostly in a, like a platonic way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really like a ship, but there are some like shippy moments, I guess. There's one moment where like, there's a really tender thing between like Zane and Liam in the mm-hmm. kitchen. And I was like, oh, is this a thing? <laughs> uh-huh. And Brett and Nicole were like, oh, Most very much so. Absolutely 100%. Was. Yeah. I was only aware that like, Larry existed. <laughs> also them. Yeah, um, there were a couple, like, Louis Harry moments in this fic that I had me feeling... The mind boggles. <laughs> like, I just was sort of, like, distraught I almost reading like it. Each other. <laughs> Weird. Like, yeah, I don't know. It was just absolutely bonkers for me to sort of relive how people thought of them. Yeah. Um, in this very, like, they're fond of each other, they like each other, they love each other, and I was like, yeah. ah! They're the most fond of each other. Right. Yeah, and like, all the band members, like, they're the two who are closest. And I was like, no! In this fic, like, it's made a note of so many times that uh-huh. Louis spends the entire fic, like, plastered to Harry's side. Mm-hmm. Like, he is yeah. always there, always taking care of him. Like, like you said, like, they are the closest. Um, And I was like, oh boy, that sure isn't how it is now. <laughs> I think for me, I had been in the fandom for so long, and honestly, I'd gotten sort of like annoyed with the fandom aspect of it and I wasn't that upset when they broke up yeah it sort of felt like we all needed a break a little bit uh-huh and so like yeah I would have been upset if they just disappeared off the face of the earth or if I thought they all really truly hated each other or something like that but that's not really the case and I think a lot of us sort of were like okay it's time. <laughs> it's time. From the bottom of the stairs to the top of the world yes. to your respective solo careers. Uh-huh. Enjoy them. Something that I found really interesting um, and that I definitely want to hear your guys' perspective on is the Nile of this fic. Yeah! Um, I have like 7,000 thoughts. <laughs> I really liked it. <laughs> um, I really liked him even as I sometimes was baffled by him. He's sort of characterized as definitely, I would say, the most upbeat of everyone in this fic, there are some sort of references to the fact that I think he's the glue keeping them together, or at least he is the one putting the most effort into making sure they stay together as a group of five. And like, we are in, as Nicole said, we're in Liam's head, and he talks sort of throughout the fic about love and like love being the thing that is binding them, but it is not like a happy love per se. Mm-mm. Whereas Niall, not that he is like all like sunshine, like he is allowed to be angry in this fic among some other things, but Niall I think is definitely the one who comes across as as the most level and the most just, yeah, just sort of like trying to keep things upbeat or like trying to keep the positive vibes within the group. It was a really interesting perspective on him, especially contrasted not only with the way that the rest of the group is like being in this space, but also with Liam in particular and how I think vitriolic he is throughout a lot of this fic. Yeah. In this fic, Liam definitely explicitly thinks that Niall is the best one. (laughs) I tend to agree with him, honestly. Niall does seem to be handling all of this the best, or at least seems to be the most well-adjusted. How much of that is actually the truth of how he's feeling in this fic? We don't really know. Uh, Liam does tend to think about the others 
very factually and assumes that what he's seeing is the objective truth when I don't think it often is. But I think there is definitely a lot to say about the 2012 Nile characterization. And a lot of fics too that we're talking about with this characterization are much happier. Uh, This definitely has shades of those characterizations, but I wouldn't say it's the truest form because this fic is just so intense. Niall is often definitely the the brightest, the happiest, uh, the one who wants to eat all of the food. That's like alluded to in this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was the blonde one. He's bouncy. <laughs> he's happy. He just wants everyone to be happy. I think non-confrontational vibes are really big in his characterization. And that stayed pretty consistent, I think, which is valid and relatable. But yeah, he just is very opaque in this fic because it does feel like Liam is judging everything off of whether Niall is smiling or not. Yeah. Uh, which I think is kind of unfair, but I liked it as a choice. I thought it was very interesting. There's a bit where um, Liam is sort of observing, like, when Niall is not happy, and the mm. line goes, it's one of the most obvious signs of what's happening, the slow destruction of Niall's laughter. And it's mm. horrible to watch, ugly and cruel. And um, something that Brenna had said before we started recording is that I think Liam takes it so much harder when there are obvious signs that Niall is unhappy more so than he does for any other mm-hmm. person, like any other mm-hmm. member. Like the other band members, like Zane, like is, you know, he's like angry and upset a lot of the time. And Liam does not react the same way to that as he does to any signs of like Niall's distress. Yeah, I think like Liam feels his own anger intensely mm-hmm. in this fic. Liam has sort of written off Harry and Louis as people to be angry with in this fic. Zane, I think, is categorized as just sort of being in his head a lot in this fic, and Liam seems to have accepted that about him, but mm-hmm. Niall is the one who really is sort of like his emotional like compass, like his mm-hmm. emotional compass, sort mm-hmm. of. And I think it's almost like Niall is his gauge of whether or not they can make it through this. Yeah. Like if if Niall can see the light at the end of the tunnel, Liam can see it with him. But if he starts to feel like Niall is like, fuck man, this is really bad. All hope is truly All lost. All hope is truly lost. Yeah. And I do think it's a really interesting characterization i think niall sort of being the bond between them the one who like loves the band the most is a very common now characterization and i think one that's really stuck with 1d throughout their whole time yeah and i think for like good reason even towards the end when you could sense that all the boys were maybe ready to do something a little bit different it wasn't like i i didn't really get the sense that like any of them were like i'm so fucking done with this yeah but niall seemed to like love it to the last, even if he was also ready to move on. And, oh god, it makes me emotional. Let's watch that final history performance. Okay, let's not. Oh, don't. I'll watch it after this. Okay. God, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about friendship in this fic, too. And what friendship looks like and how it's built and how it exists in this verse. Um, There's a line in the fic that goes, Liam wonders if it's really friendship if they're willing to endanger Harry's life to keep him here instead of sending him to the hospital. I'm like, oh boy, howdy, good question, Liam. (laughs) But I do think there is something really interesting for me about the whole idea of the boy band mythos, just in general, overall, not just this band, but... Because they never chose to be friends with each other. The only thing they had in common was that they were going to go home and then Simon Callow was like, put them all together. <laughs> it's time. Let's do it. Um, like that that was the thing. They found other things in common eventually as time moved forward. But 
none of them chose this friendship. They were thrown together to go from zero to 60, spending every second of every day together, and also having to sell friendship as one of their big, like, points. Like, there's a reason this this fandom was so huge, and it was not because they were all incredibly talented vocalists. I mean, yeah, they had fun songs, but that wasn't why any of us really were here. Um, they had to project this idea that they were in some way fated to be doing the thing that they're doing. Because if not, then they're not special and different from other groups that have also worked hard, that are also creating, you know, pop bops. But there had to be something about them as individuals, but more importantly, as groups and as people who have relationships with each other that was meant to be in some way in order for this to work the way that it needed to work. It's incredibly transactional and it's very, I think I have a much more cynical view of it now than I did back then. Back then I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm alive at the same time as One Direction, who are all also alive at the same time as each other and are in this band. <laughs> god, the universe is amazing. I still feel that way. <laughs> no, fair, fair. I mean, the fact I that mean, this existence that was sort of a joke, thing. but yeah. also like not really, because I do think it's a fascinating cultural phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a little bit, Nick, what you were saying reminds me too of um, what I said earlier that, like, Liam talks about part of the reason why they're there is because of love, but, like, it's an obligation. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not, like, a selfless love, and it doesn't hold back any of Liam's anger. He very much blames Harry and says so explicitly, like, in his own head, he says so explicitly, mm -hmm. just sort of over and over that he blames Harry for being in the situation. And, like, to his face toward mm -hmm. the end. Yeah. There's a bit at the end where Harry's, Ugh. like, oh, like, you're mad at me. And Liam's like, yeah. He doesn't couch anything nicely just because Harry is going through this. And, like, the only one he isn't really mad at is Niall. Like, we talked yeah. about this earlier, but he's mad at Louis for not, like, facing it. He's mad at Zane for sort of, like, running away sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's interesting because Liam's so calm and collected through a lot of this fic, and yet also, like, just really mad as yeah. well. And I think it's a really interesting look at sort of how those two feelings can coexist for him. Yeah. He has a lot of coexisting kind of thoughts and feelings in this fic. Toward the end, when he is having that argument with Harry, um, first he's angry because Harry is trying to apologize without apologizing. <laughs> he's like, oh, you're mad. Like, I messed up. And Liam's like, wow, it's that hard for you to say I'm sorry. Yeah, he essentially is like bitterly laughing at Harry and is like, you were never good at that, saying sorry. And they, they continue through this conversation, and Harry does apologize. He breaks and is like, I'm sorry. And Liam realizes in his narration, like, nope, it actually didn't make a difference. Harry was right. It's not going to matter if he says sorry or not, because he's still angry and it's still broken. And he says, you think just because we love you, you're forgiven? And that speared me through the heart. What a line. <laughs> what a line. Because it's such the thesis of Liam's emotions in this fic. He's so mad and he doesn't know what it's going to take for him to stop being mad, but he's still there. Um, and I would argue not only is he not super sympathetic to Harry, but his feelings of resentment seem to actually grow throughout this process as they're dealing with like the gross, ugly, painful facts of withdrawal. Because they change throughout, too. It's not the same thing over and over. So they're dealing with new symptoms as they come up and it's just... It's rough. And they have this argument around when Harry, Liam notices, seems to be showing kind of the first signs of life almost um being more aware being more present looking almost happy for brief moments 
that's almost when Liam is more angry because there's finally someone for him to fight with. Mm-hmm. When before it was just Harry lying half comatose around in different rooms. Something I found really interesting, and I guess makes sense, like, given the withdrawal symptoms, but despite the fact that Harry is physically present for this entire fic, because there isn't a moment where he's left unattended, mm-hmm. um, so despite the fact that he is central in a lot of ways, and Liam notes that he is literally central, like, in the middle of this pile of mattresses they put on the floor, mm-hmm. um, Harry is so not present. He barely speaks um, until, like you said, sort of the end where he gets a bit of himself back in that sort of confrontation with Liam. Yeah, I just found it really interesting how there's just so little of him. And I think part of that is a commentary on, like, withdrawal. And I think part of that comes from maybe the fact that Liam is so angry he's not giving any any space for Harry to be present. Yeah. That's good. Um, one thing I was thinking about while reading this fic is actually like a quote from Louis, like from a couple weeks ago, <laughs> <laughs> that I saw going around on like Tumblr. But I just think it's a really, I, I just think it's interesting paired with this fic. He he was on some show to talk about one of his newer singles, mm-hmm. and he was saying like, I think there's a lyric in one of the verses, and it talks about your dreams and your aspirations, and you're sharing a single bed together. I think a lot of people can relate to that. That started off your dreams at seventeen, eighteen, talking about them, and then at some point in your life, you reflect with that person and say, Yeah, we did all right. And like, <laughs> this fic relies on us like wanting that for them because they're at a point where like they can't say yeah we did all right like things are fucked up and the fic also doesn't leave off on like a spot where they totally fixed it Mm -mm. like harry's still kind of fucked and they don't know what's gonna happen but they know they have to sort of get back to it because otherwise the label's gonna like drop them Mm -hmm. um yeah i think like even when this fic was written which is not very long into one direction being a band it already relies on us wanting to go back uh, to revisit that nostalgia, like, right out of X Factor. That's sort of, I feel like, the moment where fandom placed all of that, like, destiny. Um, oh. And uh-huh. there are, like, you know, they have these quotes about literally doing what Louis mentions, like, sharing these, like, little beds and, like, talking at night about their dreams mm-hmm. and their future and all these things. And it's, like, even this early, we want to go back. Um, and I just think that's, like... It's such an interesting device, sort of, for the fic to use. Because it uses it literally by having them go back to the bungalow and, like, sort of reenact certain things that they did, like, pile all together in the living Mm -hmm. room and stuff. Um, But I also just think it's fascinating that, like, fandom, even early on, sort of wants to constantly revisit, like, the inception of these things. Well, because if they are a band that succeeded out of all of the bands that could have succeeded then there must have been something that happened that was this little spark of magic right at the beginning Mm -hmm. to let them grow. And I feel like as fandom, we are constantly trying to investigate and interrogate what exactly that is. And there's no way to know. And sometimes, you know, it's not even necessarily there. But we are always trying to find it. And if it's not there, then we're trying to build it. I think it's interesting. And like a little sad, but not in a bad way. Sad in a way I'm ready to lean into. <laughs> well, it's it's us as fandom, like, searching for meaning and these things that we love but don't fully understand, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this fic, among many other things, uh, is definitively an exploration of what makes something special. What makes this phenomenon special? What does it take to break something that we see as special? 
And then also, what does it look like when you take relationships that were not built out of necessarily a very solid foundation of liking someone or sharing something with them and then push those specific relationships to the breaking point? Um, I really enjoyed the way that this fic studied those topics, and I hope that maybe you can find some enjoyment um, or at least interest in those as well. But that was Undressed by AO3 user The Violinist. So hey, Brenna, do you want to talk about your fic now that I'm done talking about mine? <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so my pick for this week is a fic called The Love Song of the North American Douchebag. It's by an author who I've loved dearly for most of my fandom existence named Jism. Um, I fucking love this fic. It was originally posted in 2013. It's probably one of my most reread fics, if not my most reread <laughs> fic. Um, it... I mean, I'll get into all the reasons why I love it, but I just, yeah, it like means a lot to me. I really, really like it. Um, there, there aren't like any like big, big content warnings for it. I think there's some things in the author's notes. The only ones I would sort of throw out right now would be maybe some like a little bit of like ableist language is in there and like some other sort of like mentions like jokes about suicide, but like very small. <laughs> like, I don't think these are those things that we're going to talk about, but just, like, glance at the author's notes. They're pretty detailed, mm-hmm. um, if you want to read the fic. Yeah, so this is a Star Trek RPF fic. Um, it is about Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto. I feel like this is sort of one of those pairings the fandom makes popular when fandom ships characters, and then fandom starts to ship the people who played those characters. Mm-hmm. But also this pairing is pretty fucking funny and the press they did together was absolutely bonkers. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I think it's quite worthwhile to have written the fic about them that exists out in the world. Um, I think in some ways you could also relegate it to like Phantom just shipping two white dudes. But also it's good. <laughs> <laughs> you make a compelling argument. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so this fic explores sort of like a series of moments starting uh, during like the press tour for the first of the Star Trek reboot movies in 2009. Um, But most of it takes place sort of after they've wrapped up filming for the second one in 2013, which is when this fic is posted. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's mostly just like a series of their moments together, um, sometimes with other cast members, sometimes by themselves. Yeah, so before picking this fic, I hadn't read it for, reread it for a couple of years, probably. Um, so a lot of the reasons why I picked it were what I remembered loving about it. And I think that was all proven very true upon reread. Um, a lot of that centers around how they are written as characters and their dynamic together. I think we're probably going to get into that a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love how grounded and realistic it is, how dialogue driven it is, how much it focuses on these conversations between characters. I think the dialogue is also excellently written and very funny a lot of times. Um, and it transitions between being like very funny and like very sensitive and real super quickly in a very like realistic fashion I think. It's pretty weird at times and allows its characters to be very weird. It doesn't try and make them nice and easy and uncomplicated Um, and it doesn't really try and strip them of like all the idiosyncrasies that make you human. In fact it probably throws on a few more um, and allows them to just be like (laughs) weird (laughs) like just weird real people but yeah I think like also at the time I read it I was really wasn't reading almost anything like it like in 2013 I was reading a lot of really trope heavy fic both because I think that's 
partially what existed in fandom, but also because that was just a lot of what I was looking for in fandom. Um, yeah, I think Chisholm was an author where I was going to read anything he posted, like, regardless of what it was, basically. So of course I was going to read this and I loved this pairing at the time, but it just wasn't really tropey almost at all, except for like a couple sort of emotional beats. But the things that are happening aren't things I saw anywhere else. It's super grounded in like realistic moments. And I felt super refreshing at the time. And I think each time I read it, it reminds me of like what fic can look like and what conversations in fic can look like. And it sort of just blows my mind each and every time. Um, but I really want to hear what you guys thought, especially because like this is not like a common pairing, especially in 2019. <laughs> this was an absolutely wild ride for me. And I mean that in the best way. You said that you wanted to read this fic. And I was like, <laughs> Hell yeah, Jism. Because I wasn't part of, like, the Star Trek fandom at all, mm -hmm. but Jism did write one of my absolute favorite Marvel yeah. series, which is Ready, Aim, Fire. I'm sure we will talk about it at some point on this pod. Well, Jism was sort of like a fandom maker at that point, I think. Yeah. Anything he posted in any fandom was going to be big. Exactly. Um, so I was familiar with his name. I hadn't read his fic in a while, but I knew that I really liked the stuff of his that I had read. So I was like, okay, um, well, what do I know about Star Trek? Literally nothing. What do I know about Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto? Almost nothing. <laughs> Let's read this fic. And it yeah, was, baby. It was all of the things that you said it was. Like, it was very funny. It was very biting. It was very real. I found myself in turns, like, laughing and then also being deeply wounded. Yeah, I really just feel like the best way to describe my reading experience is a wild ride <laughs> said positively. <laughs> There was, like, at the beginning, I was trying to do a bit of sort of researching, like, there's the opening scene, they're at a bar with some other um, cast members, and I was like, wow, I'm aware that these are celebrities, but who? <laughs> so I was kind of on IMDb for a bit, and then I kind of figured, like, honestly, it doesn't really matter. Like, I know at a very basic level who Zachary Quinto is, I know who Chris Pine is, I feel like that's all the context I need, I'm just mm -hmm. gonna sort of figure it out as I go. And that worked. I didn't ever feel like I was, like, yeah. lost for not knowing more about them. Brenna did send Nicole and I, after we had both read it, she sent us some sort of clips. She's like, okay. Supplementary materials. Yeah, exactly. Uh, perhaps the stuff that Brenna sent would have maybe slightly changed the way that I read this if I'd seen it before, but honestly, I don't think so. I think all it did was sort of clarify, like, oh, yes, the way that Jism wrote them is pretty realistic. Um, well, we went over the most important part of supplementary material before we read this, which is the Chris Pine apple pie post that Jism oh, did yes. also write. So, listeners, if you don't recall this post or haven't read this post, I will tweet it. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Honestly, if you probably Googled, like, Chris Pine apple pie Tumblr post, it will come up. I don't up. even think you have to put Tumblr post. I don't even. Yeah. Chris Pine apple, apple pie. pie. Yeah. Um, it is an iconic text post that I had seen before, didn't realize uh, that it was Jism until we, before we read this fake. But yeah, Brenna sent us some like clips from interviews and some stuff that was like very fun because I did sort of have the thought as I was reading, I was like, wow, I wonder how accurate these portrayals are to who they are, or at least like who we understand them to be. And then I watched the clips and I was like, pretty accurate. Yeah, I had a really good time with this fic. Reed, I love that your instinct when you don't know something is to look it up. Because that's <laughs> not my experience. 
Okay, wait, with reading thick. statement. With reading thick specifically. Wait, wait, wait. With reading thick about people I don't know much it's, about. It's so fascinating. You want answers to things you don't understand. I just get that. I, uh, hey, ambiguity's great. I got to create so much in my head about these characters as I was reading. I, I didn't realize Simon was Simon Pegg until after I was done reading the entire fic. I was like, oh, shoot, that's Simon. Because otherwise I was like, oh. Like, I'll just roll with it, man. <laughs> But yeah, I got partway through reading this fic, and then I realized I had read it before. I was like, ah, I know this one. And I was like, where on earth would I... Uh, Brenna definitely recommended this to me many, many moons ago, back in um, our baby friendship days. Um, not that baby, but <laughs> it's been a minute. But I have read it. I enjoyed it a lot the first time. I enjoyed it more, I think, on the reread, honestly. I think this is a fic that, um, like you said, it's one of your most reread fics, Brenna. I think that makes sense, because I definitely think that this is a fic where you can pick up more and more as you go just from how many layers they are there are to the things that they are saying. The dialogue is unreal. The amount that we are reading and then reading into things and that we are in Chris's head, which like I want to talk about this more later. I think his perspective is fascinating in this fic. The way that his narrative is portrayed, but the the things that he is reading into what Zach is saying, the things that he's trying to say without explicitly saying, the circles they are dancing around each other, the references that he hides his feelings behind. It's such a delight. There was so much to pull out of it. I really, really liked how absolutely absurdly faux pedantic it got <laughs> at times. Yeah. Where it's like ostensibly they're having a really pretentious conversation right now, but that's really not what they're saying. Um, and that brought me just so much joy. And I think each of the little scenes to the vignettes, not only are they doing something, right? Because there's this old piece of writing advice that says um, every line in a piece should either further character development or further the plot. If it's not doing one of those two things, you don't need it. I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, but I do think that this fic does a really good job in doing double, triple duty sometimes with the scenes that it chooses. Um, like you mentioned the grocery store scene partway through that one where it's they're grocery shopping together. Chris is on the phone with the sister. Um, while he's having a realization of his romantic feelings, we also get all of this information about what he's even doing with his life at that time. So he's been in New York for like three weeks when he does not need to be there. He's preparing to film somewhere else entirely for Into the Woods, I think. But he's been staying on Zach's couch for three weeks, which we get like a ways into the scene. And it's like, hello, <laughs> excuse me. And he's like, wait, 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 I'll get a hotel, man. And this this really weird, earnest moment where you're like, don't be earnest. This is uncomfortable for me um, because it's uncomfortable for him. And Zach is like, do you think that I would not have kicked you out? And there is this comfort to the harshness too. I'm going off in a lot of different directions right now. I liked it a lot. It was good <laughs> and fun. <Yay. laughs> a good fic. I do. What you were just saying about the ways in which we get information in these scenes is something I was thinking a lot about even just right at the beginning. Mm. It enters us into the middle of a conversation between yeah. cast members and it isn't into a, until a number of paragraphs in that we even really realize what they're talking about because Chris circles back to it in a statement of his own. Mm -hmm. We actually never hear the initial question they're all responding to. We just jump into their responses and have yeah. to sort of piece it together. And I think it's, while Chris is distracted, yeah, because Chris <laughs> is also fucking in his head all the time uh -huh. in this fic, and I think it does a really interesting job also of blending what's happening in Chris's head with like what he's saying and what other people are saying and what they're giving back to him. 
I found it a really realistic balance. I think just engages well how much you can think in between what you say almost. Mm -hmm. Um, Like sometimes Chris spirals just enough before he says something else and it like brings us back to the real world almost and it helps ground it again. And I just think that the way these scenes are written, the way information is handed out to us in these like sort of like little dribs and drabs almost throughout it, the way it references back to things that we know happen, but we don't know until later on in these scenes, like in this one, like in the grocery store scene, we don't know. We know that Chris flew out to see Zach in a play. We don't know that the next scene we're getting is three weeks after that and that he's been sitting on his couch the whole time until, like, most of the way through that scene. I think a lot of fics, including, like, what I would just naturally write, would Mm -hmm. explain that before we get to the grocery store. Three weeks later, after Chris has been staying on his couch, they go grocery shopping. And Jism never does Mm -hmm. that, and it's so fucking good. It just, it elevates each scene in a way that I can't even deal with. (laughs) Well, something that I think is super interesting is that um, each scene is prefaced by like a little title and then the time that it takes place. And some of them are a little bit broader. Like the first scene that we see just says during the press tour 2009, like doesn't really specify like exactly when. Mm -hmm. And in later bits, it sort of jumps a number of months. And then in that scene in the grocery store, I realized like as I was reading, like, I don't know if these are the exact dates, but it's like, September, he flies out to see Zach, and then October is Mm -hmm. when you get the scene in the grocery store and you realize, but you, like, I read that it was October, but I didn't piece together Mm. that it was the three weeks until he says it, and then the next scene you get is December, and it's all, like, one, two, three, very close together, and then some stuff gets fucked up between them, and then you don't get another scene for, like, four or five months, and I thought that was super clever, too, like, the way that the presentation of time and, like, when certain things happen and how they're presented to us, I thought that was a really clever thing to do. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very smart. And I want to circle back a little bit to Chris being so in his head all the time, um, because it reminds me of something that a writing professor that I had used to sort of warn us against doing was this idea of what she called the emo shutdown, which is where you have a character who, this is a short story seminar, so the stories that we were producing were, you know, uh, five pages double space, like they were not long at all. Um, and she would warn us against having a situation in which in this story, the character is just in their head feeling sorry for themselves the entire time and nothing happens. And I think that there are parts of this fic that easily could have leaned in that direction. And the balance between the spiraling and the action is very, very careful and well done. Even just the settings, them being in a grocery store, them being like out by the pier, by like the Ferris wheel while Zach is having his post break up breakdown. (laughs) Um, the, The settings do a lot of work there too, to make sure that it's not Chris alone on his couch under a blanket thinking about how sad he is like there's times in which that could totally happen and it just doesn't there's always action there is something propelling even if the action is very small it's still meaningful and also menial enough for it to bring you out of that sort of shutdown state that can turn a reader off really easily it's a delicate balance and i think a lot of times in fic we are looking for that emotional connection for that main character to like break down a little bit we want to get closer um and closer often does mean more vulnerable and more vulnerable often happens alone and i think that this fic has a really good understanding of what that can look like when it's not the emo shutdown i think sometimes Chris is written as a character who wants to be having an emo shutdown and then other things get in the way. There's a really good scene um, that is 
a scene I think about all the time. It is one of my, like, pinnacles of how good fic exists, in which Chris escapes a party they're at to go up to the rooftop and to read a paperback copy of The Unbearable Lightness of Being that he has brought <laughs> with him. And not just which... that, but, like, his copy from his college classes at Berkeley that are annotated. Yes. And I can't think of anything that's more a character wanting to be in what, yes, what did you yes. call it? Emo, emo shutdown. Emo shutdown uh -huh. than that. <laughs> but it's broken by Zach coming up and like just like roasting him. Roasting him for this. There's a, there's a line. I'm sorry, it's so funny. Um, where Zach is like basically taking Chris's book and is like flipping through it and is noticing these annotations that Chris wrote in his like freshman seminar or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, I love this and part. Zach is reading and he's like, Kandera writes, quote, when the strong were too weak to hurt the weak and the weak had to be strong enough to leave. And you, Zach stops, cackles, holds the book out of Chris's reach when Chris grabs for it. You added the insightful deep so true with three <laughs> underlines which I think really drives home how deep and true it is don't you and so it's like Chris like is this character who like wants to be in like yeah. his like emo sad boy uh -huh. I'm feeling sorry for myself <laughs> let me breathe the unbearable lightness of being and Zach is like you absolute yeah. pretentious fucker but it's good Get because up. Zach is also an absolute pretentious fucker mm -hmm. And, like, they can just basically take these, like, jabs at each other that takes them out of these, like, really spirally headspace moments yeah. and brings it back to this, like, super... Yeah, I mean, I've said the word grounded about 60 times, but, like, <laughs> really, like, real-world friendship yeah. that's, like, these two guys who, like, a lot of their conversations are, like, roasting each other and being bitchy and all of these little snide comments. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I also really like... At sort of towards um, the end of that scene, where despite the fact that Zach is roasting him, Chris is still kind of a little bit mentally spiraling. Mm. And Zach notices. And so the fic reads, you are really fucking in your own head right now, aren't you, Zach says. It's not even a question, because Zach is in many ways the most honest person Chris knows. It's a double-edged sword in the sense that one side of the sword is the cutthroat bastard this quality makes Zach almost all the time. But the other side of it is stuff like this. The way he's no bullshit when Chris's overwhelming in instinct is too bullshit. Right now, if he was sitting next to anyone else, Chris would deny what Zach just said, would play it off. The thing is, though, he knows Zach wouldn't buy it. And I really love it because it's like, it's not just Zach roasting Chris. It's sort of an acknowledgement of how well they know one another and the fact that, like, Zach is allowed to poke fun at him because he also really gets him. And because, as you said, like, Zach is also kind of a pretentious fucker. And yeah. so, like, it's not just this, like, one-sided, like, oh, Chris, like, you're really being in your own head, like, stopping an idiot. It's sort of also the maybe quieter acknowledgement, like, I get it, but also stop being in your fucking head. Yeah, I really liked it. The literally mortifying ordeal of being known. <laughs> yeah. This... And isn't that what we always talk about on this podcast? <laughs> well, um, and I had a couple of quotes towards the end that I think kind of help summarize a lot of what Chris and Zach's relationship with each other is mm -hmm. through a lot of this fic. Because I was sort of like, as I was rereading it, I was having a hard time putting my finger on what it is that like I loved about them. Yeah. Um, and like, I think it's that they just care so deeply about each other while also being so bitchy. And like, because they can like see each other so deeply, they can like also kind of hurt each other, even when half of it's a joke, but half of it's like kind of a real criticism of the other person. And that person's gonna like take it seriously. But they also like, 
they both can't change from doing that to like saying the nice thing that they probably really mean underneath because they're both kind of cowards about it. Yeah. And there's a long conversation towards the end about who is who in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but before that... um, Chris is like reminiscing on sort of like one of the times like Zach roasted him and it's like Zach's always funny even though Chris knows he'll wake up in the dead of night six months from now and his whole body will thrum with mortification at the thought that this conversation ever happened it doesn't matter because it feels good now and Chris doesn't laugh at himself enough anyway and then later he also thinks there's probably something to that to the fact that if Zach's mean like this thinks of Chris like this but sticks around anyway Chris can probably let go let some of his shit go yeah and I think it's just so good at showing why they stick around for each other, why they want to be around each other. Um, Even as like a lot of their conversations aren't like nice. There's a whole breakup scene Zach goes through where like (laughs) Chris says all the wrong shit basically. But yeah, that breakup scene is so good because um, Chris gets a call at four in the morning and he can tell immediately that Zach is drunk and he starts like roasting him. He's like, I can't believe you're fucking drunk calling me at four in the morning. Yeah. And then Zach is like, yeah, well, you know, I think I get some leeway because I was just broken up with. And Chris is like, oh boy. Okay. So he goes down to the Santa Monica pier to meet Zach um, and talk him through it. But also Chris is like a little bit panicking. He's like, he is not the person you go to for emotional comfort. He sort of like muses on the fact that he has a very bad track record with his like own relationships yeah. and also just like, this is not what he's good for. Like, he's good for a lot of things in friendship and being the sort of emotional support is not it. So in this scene, um, it starts where Zach is sort of talking about being broken up with and he goes on this whole rant about how he hates playing characters who get blindsided by a breakup because he's like, that's so fucking stupid. Like, the whole point of a relationship is that you know someone and if that person is getting close enough to the point where they're gonna walk away, like, you should know it and you'd have to be, like, a fucking idiot to not know it and, like, I hate playing characters like that, blah, 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 this whole thing. And Chris is kind of like, uh, okay. And there's a whole thing. And then Zach gets very quiet and goes, I'm an idiot. And you realize that, like, this breakup blindsided him like all of those things he was just so angrily talking about was about himself and then he sort of zach keeps going and he says to chris like i'm not even upset about it really and chris is like sure of course you're not and zach is like jesus fucking christ you're an actor learn how to lie better (laughs) you imbecile like i can tell you're lying and there's just sort of brenna how you were saying like they're not great sometimes like they like chris keeps saying all of the wrong things Mm -hmm. so zach is talking about how um the person who's broken up with him who is jonathan groff which is so funny (laughs) to me it's just hysterical it's like that is based on real life but yeah so he's talking about how like john wants to take like their dog and so zach goes he tells me he's leaving me and i'm cool as a fucking cucumber but the thought of losing the dog that's too much what kind of a person does that make me a friend to the aspca chris says without (laughs) thinking about it like that it's is maybe incredible. the worst thing you could say in the middle of like Zach having a breakdown, um, and it's Zach's favorite thing that Chris says. Yes, yeah, yeah. and that's what makes this like work. The fact that they are, um, I don't want to say bad at communicating, but that they communicate in such like a harsh way, and also yeah. that like he doesn't need Chris to say the right things. Like if he needed someone to say the right things, he wouldn't have called him. Yeah. Um, well, because I think too. For me, sometimes I know I've been in, like, emotional states where I just feel kind of mean. And, like, I don't want to be around people because I worry about what I might say and not mean. And I think in this case, it very much felt like Zach wanted someone to yell at. And, like, Chris very much played that one correctly. (laughs) 
but like someone that he could yell at and still feel like they would want to be around him. Um, kind of like what you were saying earlier of this idea that you can be almost your your worst self around someone and they would still keep coming back to you. Um, and so I think that's part of why the scene felt so good to read. I enjoyed it. Something else that really struck me, I think, is we have so many moments of them being mean to each other that I think one of the first times one of them said something very nice to the other, I was incredibly taken aback and overwhelmed with emotion, uh, much like Chris was when he said this thing. So he goes to see Zach in The Glass Menagerie. Uh, which is not a play I'm familiar with, really, but I'm sure it's great. And that <laughs> Zach was great in it. Um, anyway, uh, Chris goes to see him afterwards in like the dressing room, and he had just watched the performance. And you know, like they're friends, they snipe at each other, or whatever. I'm expecting him to say something like, "You look like a dumbass up there," haha, because um, that would be hilarious. And instead of saying that. Um, he goes up to him and simply cannot contain himself before he says, Zach, it was, that was, you were in italics, incandescent. <laughs> like, hello? And Zach replies, um, who says that? Who fucking says things like that, Chris? I swear to God, while they're just like hugging each other. And it's... Wow, it's incredibly romantic, it's overwhelming, it's kind of devastating, it's so unexpected from everyone, including Chris himself, including me, the reader, knowing that they get together in the end. <laughs> the fact that he said a nice thing, like, really got me. But there is something so... Because the one side of all of this pedantic pretentiousness is like, oh my god, you're so annoying, you're so obnoxious, blah, 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 whatever. But there is also the very romantic side of all of this almost like academia that comes into play where you can say shit like this that people don't say. And it can still be part of your MO, part of your personality. And so for Chris to be able to say something like that, where you know it's like this part of him that he wants to be, of this person who says things like this to people that they care about, even when he most of the time absolutely cannot bring himself to that just felt like such an important moment in this fic and it's still like honestly fairly early it's like about halfway through i think so there's still so much to go for them and they don't stay that way the whole time it just is this one moment that we are seeing like one extra detail about the scene is that chris makes a point to sort of not erase the signs of his like emotions yeah. about the play i almost said about the fic <laughs> <laughs> projecting um about the play like he cried during it and like makes a point not to like sort of like wash yeah, his yeah. face or like wipe away the tear tracks and like he's like like all these like like he's like crumpled up his pants like in his hands and stuff yeah. like watching it and he sort of purposely thinks about not erasing these things before he goes to see zach and he yeah. like notes zach noticing these things before yeah. he tells him like you are incandescent and it sort of feels like a scene I shouldn't even be seeing. Yeah. And yet it's being shown to me and I'm like, ah! <laughs> well, because it's This like, is too intimate! Ah! Yeah. Well, because it is like he is maintaining all of these physical evidences of his emotion almost to prove that he means it when he's saying this. Because I, as the reader, and I was going to say I as Zach, I'm not <laughs> Zach. If I were, after everything that we've read, like, there could be a part of me that thinks, like, you're making fun of me when you say something that ridiculous. But it's it's not just that he said that. It's all of these things put together that have Zach just going up and just immediately hugging him. Like, it's not even in question. Oh, it's so smart! 
You three use your chisel. Well, what you were just saying about um, Chris leaving all of these visible signs to sort of prove mm. that he means what he's saying reminds me of a line in the fic that absolutely devastated me towards the end. Mm. Brenna, you very briefly mentioned um, they have this whole thing about talking about who's who in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, this takes place while Chris it's is... devastating. Oh, yeah. Um, this takes place while Chris is so super sick from the flu, he's, like, barely a person. Um, and Zach has come over to sort of, like, grudgingly take care of him. And they're talking about who would be who in The Wizard of Oz. And... Chris says, you're the Tin Man. And Zach's like, Jesus, like, I have a heart. Like, he gets kind of angry at it. And Chris responds, you're the Tin Man at the end then, after he gets one. That's better anyway. You're only him because, you know, the whole oil can thing is like a metaphor, right? For how you don't loosen up with people until you get to know them. And the Tin Man has a heart through the whole movie. It's all symbolic and shit. You always think I mean these things that I don't mean. And that last line just killed me. Because there are a few moments throughout the fic, like the few moments where they're not just sort of being mean at each other, where sometimes Chris does say something like that, where he says something sort of in reference to the good things about Zach that he sees, but because of the way he delivers it, Zach takes it in a much more harsh way. And just saying, like, you always think I mean these things I don't mean, because so much of their friendship is built on them just, like, trading barbs with one another, and because it is so rarely, like, all of their walls broken down... That the moments where Chris is, like, trying to be nice to him, if he isn't doing things like refusing to remove the tear tracks from his face, then Zach doesn't take at face value that what he's saying is nice. Oh, it killed me, listeners. <laughs> well, because there's a part two way, way before where, let, let's paraphrase, um, Zach is talking to Chris. They're both pretty drunk, um, but Chris is, like, drunk, drunk. And Chris is something along the lines of, like, hot, like, you think you're nice. And as he says it, he's like, ooh, that was kind of harsh. And Zach just kind of looks at him. And Chris then afterwards says, just because you're not nice doesn't mean you're not good. That yeah. had me in my feelings. Anyway, that made me think. Um, I was thinking about that when I read this bit. They misunderstand each other. And they say things that they think they mean and maybe don't. Or that they do mean and wish they didn't. Yeah, the last like big thing I wanted to talk about is actually in the same scene that Reed brought up just a little bit later. Um, which also I do want to say, like, the scene is the perfect example of alternating between cutting and devastating and, like, really freaking funny because mm-hmm. it has my absolute favorite line in the fic, which is just when Chris is, like, feverish and he just <laughs> <laughs> about the Wizard of Oz. It's It goes from being, like, cutting to just hysterical because they're talking about the Wizard of Oz and Zach is, like... Your logic is impeccable, Captain. And then Chris is like, fuck munchkins, Mr. Spock. <laughs> I don't think a single line in thick has been funnier than fuck munchkins, wow. Mr. Spock. <laughs> That's bold. <laughs> it is bold, but I'm sticking by it. Wow. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to like visit this moment in a in the scene later on. So sort of going back and forth about like, yeah, who's who in the Wizard of Oz? Who's the Tin Man? Who's the Lion? who's missing sort of like which part of themselves. And very early on in the fic, Zach called Chris a coward. This takes place years ago, basically in the can- in the mm-hmm. canon timeline of this fic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris is basically like, Zach, you're, like, you're the one who made me the lion. And Zach is like, what? Because I called you a coward once years ago. And Chris is like, well, you haven't forgotten either, <laughs> basically. Um, 
And he goes on this whole like little rambly rant where he's like, you're not sorry. Um, I know you like, I know when you're sorry and like you weren't then. And he says, it's not, I don't know. I want to say things to you, but I just don't. Or like apologize maybe for things or ask you what you mean or if you mean what I think you do. Sometimes I want to do that or whatever, Zach, I'm the lion. You're the reason I'm the lion. And let's just forget I said anything. This is stupid. Um, and then like Crystal like hides in his pillow for a moment. Um, <laughs> you gotta. And then Zach is like, you could say things. I mean, I think you'd have to get over yourself a little first, maybe. But I don't think you're a coward. I didn't know you that well when I said it, really. I think you're self-absorbed. <laughs> Chris opens his eyes in mild indignation. <laughs> oh, good. That's much better. It's not about better, Zach says. That's not what people are like, better or worse. Sometimes I wonder if you've ever actually interacted with another human <laughs> being, Chris. It's, look, I think you see the world the way you think it is instead of the way it actually is. And then you get all, he pauses, huffs out of breath. I don't know, self-correcting or something. Whatever. It's not your, my point. And then they sort of, like, just go off, like, into a different direction with this mm. conversation. But that line about, like, it's not about better, I think, fundamentally defines their relationship and like uh -huh. defines Chris in this fic like he's always sort of like in his head about like not being good enough and like these things that he's missing like he's a coward he's a whatever he's whoever he is in Wizard of Oz whichever in like intrinsic piece of himself he's like missing but maybe it's just a metaphor anyway yeah. and he like can't get out of his own fucking head about it um and I think this moment in which Zach is like, that's not even how it works. Like, stop thinking that I'm saying you're not a good person. It's right back to that same thing of like, that doesn't mean that you're not good. You know, it's just, that's not even the scale we're like looking yeah, at. Like, yeah. where are you? Yeah. Um, I just think it's like such a profound moment and just not the way characters are usually written. Like, that's not the way characters are written as looking at things. Like, especially yeah. characters who are have romantic feelings about each other. So much of it is, like, validating the other person. Mm -hmm. And here it's just, like, a really real look at the other person and saying, like, this is what you are. And just because you are that, it doesn't, like, you think it's bad, but it's not. It's just who you are. And I feel like there's this real sense of, like, it's not trying to redeem Chris mm. in this moment. It's just about them being these people and coming to terms with that. Oh, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's really good and it fucking kills me in a yeah. way I can't even describe because it looks at like what it means to like be human and like oh god I know I've said it before but like that's when fic really gets me you know yeah is like these unexpected glimpses at like what different authors think that like the answer yeah, to that question yeah. is 100% and I really like Jism's answer yeah especially RPF I think honestly mm -hmm. I agree yeah wow Wow. Um, Good fake, everyone. Yeah, I would highly recommend this <laughs> if you want sort of an insight into this pairing, but also like if you want an insight into like me. <laughs> and just human nature and in human general. Nature, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like it's a really smart, concise, pointed look at two people who seem like they shouldn't get along at all mm -hmm. and yet constantly want to be together. Thank you, Jism. Thank you. Jism. <laughs> So those were our picks for this episode. Mm -hmm. um, really quick, if you are listening to this episode on the day that it is releasing, which is December 6th, and you haven't signed up for our rec exchange, go do that right now. Right now. Uh, You're running out of time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, it is. Hurry. It closes at midnight PST. Yeah. So if you are at all interested in sharing recs with people, which you should be, mm -hmm. um, please go sign up for our rec exchange. We're very, Join very excited us. about it.
Um, you can find out some more information about said rec exchange on our Twitter at ThickClick or on our Tumblr at ThickClick. Um, wow. <laughs> the branding. Brand consistency. Um, yeah, you can find out more information about those. That's also where we have a lot of our other, like, just social media presence. So hit us up. Um, that's where you can find us most regularly, ask us questions, mm-hmm. engage with us, yeah. um, like, review, subscribe, follow, whatever those words are. Join love us. if you did them. Yeah. <laughs> Join us on this wacky and wild journey we call Thick Click. <laughs> Tweet us. Send us things. A few people have like sent us um, things that reminded them of our past episodes. Yes. That was so fun. Um, we'll reblog you. Yeah. Or retweet you yes. or whatever the social media mm-hmm. platform is. We'll boost you. Yeah. <laughs> it's also just super fun to get things from you guys, whether it's just your reactions or it is like, Hey, this Hamlet meme made me think about your episode. Uh, we love it. We love a Hamlet meme. Yeah. Anyway, hit us up and get amped for our next episode. <laughs> Woo! Oh, I celebrate the alone. Next episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hey, that's just how I speak. It's not. Is it? No. <laughs> a new development. Surprise, everyone. <laughs> no, our next ep, it is coming out on December 20th. And it is our vaguely holiday-themed episode. We're going to be doing wintry things. Wow, anyway. So for this episode, all of us chose fics that we like to read around the holidays or that make us think about the holidays or that just are set in the winter, (laughs) uh, depending on who you're asking. Uh, Very thematically appropriate and perfect. Um, So if you are as excited as we are, stick around and listen to us declare our picks for this episode right now. (laughs) So, Reed, what are you bringing to the table for us? I'm bringing a BTS fic. It is Kim Namjoon Min Yoongi. It's the new Homeowner's Survival Guide by Almost Blue. It was really, really funny. I laughed out loud pretty much the entire time I was reading it, and I'm very much looking forward to talking about it. Um, Nick, what is your pick? (laughs) Okay, everyone, I don't know any more than you do, Okay. (laughs) My fic is called Always Winter by Halo Tolerant. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just going to say it. Uh, it's, a, it's a fusion fic. It's, a, it's sort of a crossover. Um, the primary fandom, they have buried their faces in hands or shirts because it's a lot. The main fandom is Tintin. The secondary fandom is Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I'm not really familiar with either of these fandoms, so I'm going to be doing a fair amount of research in the next couple weeks. It's a really good fic, though. Okay, I like it a lot. I didn't choose it completely um, without any understanding of what the fic is. Um, It's really well done. It's super well written. I honestly think you can enjoy it with zero context, because I sure did. So I hope you will um, indulge me. In um, we talked about we wanted to diversify fandoms, right? I've got this, y'all. Yeah. Anyway, please join me for this Tintin fic, Bren. Yeah, mine is probably um, mine is just so straightforward comparatively. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is Headlights in the Snow. It is a Draco Harry fic by Sarah's Girl. Um, if you are in the Harry Potter, Draco Harry, Drury world, yes. you've probably read a Sarah's Girl Advent fic. This is Ooh, what this no. one is. <laughs> 
Um, they're something I very much think of as like holiday fic for me, even when they don't necessarily like super center on like Christmas or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the structure of Advent fic is very festive, and I just think it's super interesting. These are very like comforting, warm, fuzzy, mm. curl up by a fire fics for me. So I'm excited to read this. I'm excited to share it. It's super fluffy. We're doing something a little different in Brenna's Jerry Corner. This Love is that. Brenna's Dreary Corner Holiday Edition. Wow. Yeah, thank you. It's it's a limited candle scent. <laughs> you hung up some lights. <laughs> yeah. Cute. So those are going to be our fix for our sort of loosely holiday, festive, wintry episode. If you have holiday fix that you love, that you think of as rereads for the wintertime season, um, anything that you love curling up with by the fire with a hot drink or if you live in other hemispheres like on the beach (laughs) um send them to us i think it'd be really fun if we could all share some of like our holiday faves as well maybe on twitter or something like that i made this up right now so let's do it um hashtag fit click holiday pick um, but we are super excited to, yeah, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're super excited to do the rec exchange, do our holiday yes. fix, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye! Bye. <laughs>